Good morning. Uh, my reading uh, today is Psalm number one, and you'll find that in your pew Bibles at page 532, and in the large print Bibles at page 840. So 532 in the pew and 840 in the large print. Okay. I might have a different copy here. (laughs) Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers not so the wicked they are like chaff that the wind blows away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And it can be found on page uh, 1829 of the large print and 819 of the fine print. The Supremacy of the Son of God The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, John. Thank you, Richard. Good morning, everybody, and a happy new year to you all. 
And before we can have morning tea after the service, we the gentlemen have to do a job. The ladies don't have to do this. We need to... Uh, stack up our chairs that we don't use it would be wonderful if every chair was full every Sunday but it's not so we need to sort of stack them up so if we can do that after the service um, that would be fine let me pray and we'll turn to Psalm 1 Heavenly Father we thank you that as we uh, enter a new year we can look to you to sustain us in all things and to provide security for us and help us to uh, learn from this psalm as to how you would have us live, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When overseas, because of my sports ministry, I've occasionally been asked by another sports ministry colleague why in such an evangelical diocese of such a Bible-believing diocese as Sydney is church attendance so low? Then they would come here and they would see our magnificent harbour, our glorious beaches, our wonderful bushland, and they'd say to me, now I know. Sydney siders think they live in paradise. They think they're in heaven already. When, when we add our wonderful climate, our top quality health care, and the houses that we live in, we can say that we are truly blessed. And yet, there is great insecurity. People worry about having a job, they wonder whether they've got enough in their super account and we find many young people committing suicide. Psalm 1 starts with the word blessed. In the original language, it's not in the singular but in the plural. And so if it was written today, it would, it would say something like multiple blessing or Awesome blessings. And if you're a reader of the Psalms, it's important for us to actually read it, read the Psalms through the filter of this first Psalm. It is no accident this Psalm 1 is Psalm 1. Now you know that there are 150 Psalms in the Bible. If you were on You Want to Be a Millionaire and Eddie asked you how many psalms are in the Bible, you'd be able to say, Eddie, I don't need to phone a friend. I know there are 150. Well, is it any fluke that Psalm 1 is Psalm 1? Now, I want to explain this psalm, and as I do, the ladies could actually become quite offended because I am going to talk about males only to begin with. I'm going to talk about a man. So ladies, be your usual patient, kind, compassionate self and just say, well, he'll get to me eventually. So here we go. The writer of this psalm tells us that a man is blessed if he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. This truly happy, because that is what blessed can mean, it can mean supremely content, 100% content, or truly 100% happy. He doesn't allow his conduct to be shaped by the principle of the ungodly. He doesn't allow ungodly principles to drive his thinking and therefore his actions. He doesn't accept the values of the wicked. He doesn't believe, for example, that this is the only life and that money or pleasure are the only things that are important. We are told that he doesn't sit or in the company of the mockers. And the idea there is that he actually believes there is a God. He is not a person who says there is no God. He doesn't believe in the view often held by people today, if it feels good, do it. He doesn't believe that life is now lived with tunnel vision, that life is just all about him. No. He believes that life and history has a purpose, that it is moving from one point to another point. It is not meaningless. Which draws us, if we think about that, to verse 2. And this psalm has an enormous number of contrasts in it. This, in verse 2... The man who is truly blessed, who is truly content, is a man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is a person who can't get away from the word of God, that doesn't want to get away from the word of God. He is a person who wants to read the word of God. He would have read the five books of the Old Testament time and time again. But also, he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. There was no struggle in some ways to do the word of God. We at times have that struggle, don't we? We know we've got to read the Bible, but we think, ah, this is a chore. And I personally, as a minister, often have a struggle in that the Bible is, for me, my tool. You know, like a carpenter has a hammer and a chisel, or a painter has a brush, the Bible is my tool. And at times, I find it hard. God, what new thing can I get out of it? 
I've read this so many times. I can recite this off by heart. And so it can be a struggle for us. So we have a contrast here of the blessed man doesn't walk with the wicked, doesn't stand with the sinners and he believes in God and he believes so much in God that he wants to do what God has for him to do. And in verses 3 and 4, we find that there are two ways to live set out for us. First, in verse 3, that person is like a tree. This man is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. This man has solidarity. He has security and he has 100% success. Everything it says, whatever he does prospers. Even in the time of drought, some trees die. But here we are told that this man is like a tree that never dies. What he does continues to yield fruit. But verse 4 gives us an opposite way of life. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. We usually reserve the word wicked for people who commit terrible crimes. People like suicide bombers or serial rapists. We mostly think that people are good because our non-Christian friends don't do us harm very often. They seem to be kind and courteous. They'll lend us their car trailer. They give us grapefruit or lemons when they've got too many. But you see, the trouble is that God sees people who don't believe in Jesus as wicked. Not their actions are wicked, but they are, but their status before him is the mockers are wicked. And verse 5 tells us that they are doomed. Being kind, gentle, and generous, we are told here, will not save them. And verse 6 emphasises this point. There are two ways to live and two destinations. For verse 6 starts, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And so we know that God is caring for us and he will care for us and he will take us to heaven. But those who do not know Jesus will perish. Well, as I said to the ladies beforehand, I would talk about a man for quite some time. And the question then is, 
Who is this man? And it cannot be any human being. Because he delights in the law of the Lord. And behind that is the concept of sinlessness. And we are sinful. We would rather please ourselves. We don't forgive when we should. And verse 3 tells us, I don't know about you, but I've actually failed sometimes. I've actually not achieved what I've wanted to achieve. I never became an Olympic Games high jumper. That was one of my aims as a 16-year-old. Somehow, it didn't work out. Nor did I make the Australian basketball team. I can't see why these things happened. But you see, whatever they do prospers. The idea here is that everything this man did reached its goal. So who is the man? In Deuteronomy chapter 17, long before a king is appointed, in verses 18 to 20, these words are written. He is to write for himself on the scroll a copy of this law. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may revere the Lord. Eventually, Josiah takes over from Moses, and if we had the time, we could read how God speaks to Josiah, and it is in the terms of this psalm. This psalm is actually the instructions given to Josiah. So the man is the leader of God's people. David, in Psalm 119, speaks of the word of God being a lamp unto his feet. And on his deathbed, when he's talking to Solomon, he writes these words in 1 Kings 2, verses 2 to 5. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands so that you may prosper in all that you do. The commands to the kings are written and are a reflection of Psalm 1. But those of us who know any Old Testament history know that every king failed. In fact, the Israelite nation lost the book of the law. For 57 years, the word of God was not read by the, by the Israelites. 
and we know what took place because of it. They were taken off into into captivity. They did not delight in the law of the Lord. It's a terrible thing when a family loses the word of God, let alone a nation. Some people have said that the sky has not fallen in because we have loosened the laws in regards to abortion and allowed same-sex marriage. But in years to come, there will be repercussions. They said the same thing about drugs, marijuana or heroin, 40-odd years ago. And look at the damage that ICE is now doing in our community. And so for 500 years, so when they got the book back, they would have read this psalm and they would have realised that they had failed. And so Jesus comes 500 years after this psalm is written And he makes it clear to his hearers that they are not the righteous ones. What is his message to them? He comes and he preaches and he says, I have come not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. And in Matthew chapter 23, And verses 27 to 29, he describes the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. If you've ever been to a cemetery, you've seen these magnificent tombs. They're often made of granite or some other rock and they look tremendous. But what are they like on the inside? They're grubby and they're dirty and they're full or they've got dead bones in them. They're dead in their heart. And so that's what Jesus speaks about. He speaks to these people who thought they were right with God. And he points out to them that they weren't, that their security was in their things and in their religion, but they had no security, really, in God. And Peter would have known Psalm 1. And he writes in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous. Psalm 1, and now ladies, you come back into it now, is for all of us. Because it is about one man who came and died for us all. How does this come about? Psalm 1, 
Jesus did not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He did not stand in the way of sinners. And he did not sit in the seat of mockers. Yes, he ate and drank with sinners. But he would not take up their ways. Yes, he heard the mockers. But how did he respond? Think of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, please take this cup from me. And he didn't. And what did Jesus do? He obeyed the law of the Lord. It was his will to do his Father's will. And he went to the cross. And you see, he believed in the big picture, unlike so many mockers today. He believed that the world was created by his Father through him. What a wonderful passage and description of Jesus that is that Richard read to us. He is the image of the invisible God. The world was made for him and through him. And history has a meaning. It starts with God's creation and it will end with a recreation. And we are in that timeline. And this is where we find our meaning in life. Not in our jobs, pleasant as they may be. Not in all the things that we have for they can be taken away in a bushfire, can't they? Isn't that so so tragic and so sad? You see, there is not security in the things of this world. There is a big picture. God is at work in our lives. Everything that happens to us has meaning for him and for us. And he did prosper. Whatever they do prospers. Well, we might think, but he died. Yes, but it was fulfilling the purposes of God. His plan was to save us. Yes, he did die, but death did not defeat him. God overturned mankind's verdict. On that Good Friday, mankind said, God will die. And on that Easter Sunday, God said, God will rise from the dead, and so he did. And so, we will not perish. 
John 3.16 reminds us that we will not perish. We are richly blessed. We live in the lucky country. Even the leftovers that we've been eating for the last week are better than what people in third world countries might get. How are we to be contented? God has given us the good things of this world to enjoy, but there is more to this world than this wonderful country offers us. There is eternal life. There is a contrast in verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, that is us, but the wicked are blown away. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, these words are written. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house. There too is a contrast. Our human body in regards to this life, is described as a tent. But our eternal home is described as a building and not one that we have made, but one that God has made. There is no middle ground. There is no third way. Our security is in this man. Of Psalm 1. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that it might give us comfort today, but also help us to examine our lives as to how we're living. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we will constantly give thanks to you for the man who was truly blessed, who came to save us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.